Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Bethnal Green service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. I'm going to introduce Lars shortly, but prior to doing that, I'm going to do today's reading, uh, which is from the book of Matthew. Uh, it's Matthew 6, uh, 6 to 16. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they, will not, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins." Uh, So yeah, Lars is going to be continuing our series on the Sermon on the Mount. Let's give him a big round of applause. Lars. Thank you very much, Rich. It's been a very interesting day to be uh, touring around Christchurch London with this talk. So when I came to the Stockwell service, uh, I came into this huge corridor And the welcome committee uh, meeting me there was a child about this size, a small girl looking very suspiciously at me. And then she just turned around and walked away. And once in a while, she just looked back very suspiciously still. So that was kind of the warm welcome at the Stockwell service. (laughs) Then I came to the central service. And the first thing I saw as I looked at the road just behind me was a guy sitting with this big screen where he could see the cricket match. So he had the cricket match going. uh, And then I had another guy next to me that I just know very well. He's a big lover of cricket. So I knew he would be suffering all the way through the talk. So that was the central service. And now I'm here at the east service. And Raf is saying he would rather be at a different place. (laughs) It's really a wonderful day. So uh, (laughs) couldn't help it. So, um, I have been looking forward to doing this talk on the Lord's Prayer, and I will probably do it in a different way that you may have heard before. So, I have chosen the headline, The Art of Looking in the Right Direction. So, a few weeks ago, I was together with a group of people, and we uh, had gathered to have some time of prayer. And as we were praying, I I was reminded of this scripture where Jesus says, see, I have placed you before an open door that no one can shut. And uh, the image coming with that word was an image of a person standing in front of this wide open door, but looking to the side, facing a wall. And I just stopped and paused with that image. And I was reflecting on that as I was preparing for this talk today, and I realized that there's probably a lot of interpretation from that image to the talk today on the Lord's Prayer. I realized that prayer is very much about seeing. And it seems like that there are two visions that propel us into 
a life of prayer. One is a very well-known one that I think all of us can relate to, and we would all have stories about that. And that's the prayer that comes from when we find ourselves in a situation that seems really hopeless, and we are facing our own helplessness, and finally we just cry out to God, help, if you are out there, help me. That's kind of one of the visions where we really see how much we need him. The other one is when we see who he is. And when we realize is that he has a standing invitation to all of us, no matter who we are, to partake in who he is and what he has for us. And it's, for most of us, quite tricky with this whole prayer business. Have you noticed? Quite many of us find it a bit difficult to engage with for many different reasons. One of them may be that we live in a culture that is rather physical, logical, materialistic. So I guess that most of us, at least I know I do, need both pathways. We kind of need a double vision to really engage with prayer. We need to learn to not deny our state of helplessness as human beings, rather to be renewed in it and really face it almost on an everyday basis and see how much we need the help of God. And also, we need to be renewed in seeing who he really is and see what opportunities that really opens up for us. A prayer which is not only the prayer for help, but which goes way beyond the prayer for help. So it's very much about what we see. It's very much about looking in the right direction. And it seems that Jesus is pointing us uh, in this direction when he talks to us about how we should pray this prayer. He says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So what is Jesus saying here? In a way, he is saying to us, be unseen and see him that you cannot see. It's quite tricky, I know, but that's basically what Jesus is saying. And he's probably speaking directly into two major challenges for us human beings. One is that we kind of need to be seen ourselves. And the other one being that we, most of us really would like a God that we could see and physically touch. In the exterior, Jesus, of course, is talking about uh, this habit of the religious establishment of that time to display their prayers, to gain acknowledgement and admiration from other people. But it seems like there are deeper layers to this, that he's addressing those things, that we as human beings need something that we can see. We want something that we can see. We see this in the Old Testament story about Moses leading the Israelites from the Egypt to the Promised Land. At one point, God invites Moses to the Mount Sinai where he gives him the Ten Commandments. And Moses and God, they are together there for 40 days. And the people get impatient and they say to Aaron, Moses' brother, make us a God that we can see. So they kind of forced him to do that. So he made this golden calf, and they bowed down, and they worshipped it. Finally, they had a God that they controlled, they could touch, and they could look at. Well, 
This is, of course, a very old story. But it seems to me that the golden calf is still around. The temptation to build our life on what we can see, what we can control, and what we can touch. The temptation to look for security, the security we can provide for ourselves. It's still very much around, isn't it? And even more so, the temptation to switch on things that give ourselves visibility. So rather than going into the unseen to be seen by God, we switch on instead of switching off. We have this desire in us to be acknowledged, to be liked, and we count the likes, most of us. And we explore, if you're anything like me, who was it that liked my post? And maybe even more importantly, who didn't like my posts, right? It is a interesting thing that Jesus is saying here when he uses these words. They are a bit tricky, and we are moving into the mystical part of Christian spirituality. Really, what Jesus is saying is that we need to be unseen to discover that we are seen by him who himself is unseen. That is a bit cheeky, isn't it? Have you noticed how much is decided by what we choose to rest our eyes on? So if you buy a lot of catalogs for a certain product and you keep on doing that, chances are that one day you will end up buying that product, right? No matter whether you need it or not, and even sometimes no matter whether we can afford it or not. It has such power of us. And Jesus says that we are stewards of where we choose to focus. And he directs us into this quite challenging and yet life-giving path to go into the unseen and to look for the one who sees us. So what happens when we do that? What takes place if we actually choose to follow the direction of Jesus that he gives us here. Well, the Bible is really clear on that point. The Bible would say that when we do this, transformation is taking place in our lives. It's not a question of if it is happening or not. It will happen for sure. In the moment I really see that God as he is, it's looking straight at me. I am being transformed. It's not a question. Biblically speaking, that is a fact. And it's kind of a double action taking place here. And one is that it's the Father seeing us. And just Him seeing us is a blessing in itself. We see this in the blessing of the Old Testament when God commanded the priests of Israel to say this blessing over the people on his behalf. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. 
It's interesting, isn't it? This whole blessing is about God's face being turned towards me, that he sees me. And the very nature of this blessing is that God calls forth the essence of who we are as human beings, of what he has created us to be. We see this in the story of creation, that when he blesses creation, we become fruitful in whatever he has made us to be. So the Father sees us. And when we, in the the unseen, with our inner eyes, starts to see him seeing us, we are being transformed. In a way, we know this as a fact from life itself. That whatever we fix our eyes on influences us greatly. And it seems like we are born with this. So when we are born into this world, we are looking for a pair of eyes that are looking at us. And if that need wasn't met when we were children, it will still be there in us as adults. It kind of still is, no matter how our childhood was. We as human beings are looking for eyes that are looking at us. In Paul's letter to Corinthians, he talks about this principle of transformation, and he puts it like this. He says, and we all who with unreal faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. I know, it's a bit, it's, it's a big bit up there, isn't it? This way of, of expressing it. But if you look closely at it, you will see the very same thing. It's a principle of transformation. When we look at God, we are being transformed. Prayer in this respect is to see with our eyes closed. So quite early on in the annals of Christian prayer, we bump into this concept of contemplative prayer. And this word, contemplatio, is where we have our word, contemplate, and that refers to be looking at, to be gazing at, or simply to be aware of. So in this context, it is to be looking at God, to be gazing at God, to be aware of God. And probably this is why Jesus is saying to us in, these, in this passage, don't use many words. That's not really what this prayer is about. It's probably more about seeing him, seeing us. So what do we discover when we really start to see God as he is? Well, we kind of hear it in the two words of this prayer of Jesus. He says, we should pray, our Father. So in other words, Jesus expects that what we will be seeing is a Father who sees us. In a way, this is quite natural, isn't it? I am the father of three children who are now grown up, but I do remember when they were small children. When I was in charge, they were always either in the focus of my eyes or at least in the corner of my eyes. Whether they needed it or not, I couldn't help it. That was just part of being a father, part part of being a parent. They didn't have to ask me to do that. But at the same time, it was a need for them as well. And if they had a suspicion that I didn't see them, they would quite often say, Dad, look! 
And uh, I suppose there are a few parents in the room today. I can kind of hear that. And, and you would know that you can almost get an, a, a vision burnout because your eyes are constantly there watching out for your children. Putting it a bit cheesy, but yet I believe very truthful. My children's most important space in terms of thriving and developing as human beings was a space created by the two pair of eyes watching them. My wife's eyes and my eyes. And it's this kind of language Jesus is using to describe what we are seeing when we start to see God as he really is. And for the people listening to this, this would be really surprising. Not because they weren't used to this use of human relationships to talk about the relationship to, between God and human beings, but because of the words Jesus was using. Back then, you would use the Hebrew language to talk about God and religious matters, but Jesus used an Aramaic word for father, and that was the everyday language. And the word was Abba, which equals our daddy. This use of, the use of this word was so extraordinary. So when uh, the T New Testament was written in Greek, they used the Greek word for father, but they also kept the Abba. So in a way, it says, Father, Father, our Father, Father. Because this was spectacularly amazing, what was happening here. Why is that? Well, the Apostle Paul explains it with very dramatic imagery. He says that this is kind of it. This is why Jesus came, that we could become the children of God. And he says that this is us being transformed from a life of slavery driven by fear into a life of freedom driven by trust. In other words, he says, this is the big game changer. This is the absolute core message of the Bible. Many would say that the Sermon on the Mount is the core message of the Bible. And if you ask what is the core message of the Sermon on the Mount, quite a few scholars would agree those two words, that would be the core message, our Father. So if you're looking for the essence of the essence or the core of the core, this is it. Jesus mentions the word Father 17 times in the Sermon on the Mount. He underscores the fact that God is a father and he therefore sees us and he sees our needs. With that, he also says that God not only sees it, but he has the capacity and the desire to meet our needs. And he specifies the fact that being seen by the heavenly father like this talks about what kind of value he has placed on our lives. He says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? It's completely like the value we attach to anyone being born into our family. A few of us would have children of our own, but all of us would have nephews or nieces or other being born into our family. And we know it's a really big thing. And none of us would be asking about this little thing. So, 
So what can we expect of this little thing? Or what are the competence of this little baby? At least I hope you didn't ask that question. If you did, please come and talk to me afterwards. We have something to talk about. <laughs> no. We are just so happy that they are born. And we place an enormous value on them right in the moment and even before they are born into the family. Breathing is enough. And these are the kinds of words that Jesus is using to talk about what kind of value has the Heavenly Father placed upon us. And I know that some of us would be struggling here because some of us have stories about our own father here, our earthly parents. Stories that are quite painful. So we are struggling with this concept of father, or maybe even parent. But we need to notice that Jesus says, our heavenly father, which means that he is talking about something that resembles, but something which is way more. So even with those of us who have good stories to tell about how we grew up, this is something else. This is something that goes beyond that. This is a narrative that needs to be explored. One of uh, Medes and my friends back in Denmark, Kristin, she was going on the steps course years ago, and she gave her testimony, and it is in the steps book, so some of you would uh, probably recognize it. She said, I realized that I'd never quite been able to think of God as a loving father. I was always reminded of my own father who had let me down. So I had problems experiencing God's love for me. When I recognized the problem and my own powerlessness to change it, I asked for prayer. Suddenly I realized that God is the father who has always loved me. I can trust that he will never forsake me and his will is good for me. I can relinquish control. It's been a surprisingly wonderful experience for me to relate to God like this, which I've realized has been missing from my life. I'm now able to walk and talk with him about everything close to my heart and pray for his guidance. It's given me a totally new dimension of freedom and joy. Now, this is 10 years ago she wrote this testimony. And recently, Med and I received an email from her where she talked about some really challenging things in her life. But she said, what I experienced back then is still very much alive in me. This is still how I relate to God. Isn't that amazing? A real transformation had taken place in her life. Now, if we are at the core of the core or the essence of the essence, this is, of course, of extreme importance. And yet I know the complexities that quite a few of us are struggling with in this area. And quite a few of us would need more than the, just the concept of the all-powerful power, Father to kind of deal with what we're carrying within us. And even for some of us, even though we kind of hear the stories, we, we read the Bible, and we kind of see this image of the unconditionally loving Father, we still find it hard to grasp it. And as, as I was preparing this talk, I realized that some of us may be in need of seeing the grieving father. The father who is right there in the midst of the pain and who grieves with me. 
So how do we do that? How do we see that? Well, I believe we can follow in the footprints of Jesus. He said, pray, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It doesn't sound very exciting, does it? What does that really mean for us? But back then, for the listeners, it was an adventurous universe opening because they knew that a name equaled identity, and if you put God into the mix of that, it would mean reality. And then adding the upper to that, they knew that Jesus had just opened an adventurous universe because now there was a personal way in where they could relate to the reality of God. And they had a whole universe that opened in terms of the names of God because they knew them very well from the Old Testament. So what is that name? They, well, they would be thinking of a name like El Shaddai, meaning God the Almighty, or Jehovah, meaning God who is. And they would probably be thinking of some of the covenant, covenant names connected to the Jehovah name. And that would be a name like God the Healer, which means that God not only has the power and the desire to heal us, but also that He is grieving with us when we suffer illness. It would be a name like God the Provider, which means that He's in pain when we lack essential things in this life. It would be a name like God our Peace, which means that He feels our lack of inner peace, He feels our unrest. It would be a name like God, our righteousness, which means that he's a grieving father until we return to him. This is the story of the prodigal son behind all of this. It is a name like God, the shepherd, which means that he longs to bring clarity, leadership, and care to us. It's a name like God who brings victory, which means that he suffers with us when we suffer defeats in this life. And it's a name like God who is always present, which means that he does see all of these things going on in my life and therefore suffers with us like any other parent would suffer when his or her child is in need. It's just the same. When we see that, it does something powerful in our lives. It's a revolutionary prayer because it has the power to transform us. When we begin to see him as we really is, we realize that we are being invited to become what we really are. By saying Father in heaven, we are not only saying something about who he is, but we are also stating something about who we are. Very logically, right? If he is our father, we are his children. The Danish philosopher and theologian Søren Kierkegaard said that the Sermon on the Mount is a mirror because it tells us both who we are but also what we are called to become. So seeing him is also seeing us. We discover our true self, that within us, there is a desire to be as he is and to give as he does. To be someone who brings peace. Someone who helps others to win in the good battles of life. Someone who is a healing presence to others. Someone who brings peace, who brings justice, and who brings guidance to other people. 
and someone who really sees. This is you and I. This is in the essence of who we are as his children. This is in us. And as we see God and thereby discover who we really are, our eyes are being opened to the needs around us. We are now learning to be carried by the Heavenly Father, and this frees us to begin to carry others. And I know that there are many good-hearted people in this congregation because I know quite a few of you. So I know that some of us would have this really big I should machine really deeply implanted in us. So we know I should be good. I should be helping all kinds of people. Really, I should be saving this world. But that's really not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about a transformation taking place where the essence of who I am becomes what really happens in my life out of identity, out of a position of rest just like Jesus lived his life here on earth. Not as a big endeavor in his own strength, but something come out, coming out of who he was as the son of God. This, when that happens, is the answer to the prayer Jesus leads us into when we pray, hallowed be your name, which means may your name be visible, may it be glorified, may it be set aside, may it stand out for people to see it just as it did when Jesus was walking here on earth and revealed the name of the Father. And now, leading us into this prayer, Jesus is planning for you and I to have the same kind of visibility in this world. As we are praying, we are becoming who we are, the children of the Heavenly Father. And as we become the children of the Heavenly Father, we become the answers to the prayers, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and your will be done. Now, if I had been in Denmark at this point, I would probably have people throwing rotten tomatoes at me. There would certainly be strong protests in the congregation. And if I had been sitting in the congregation, I would be protesting myself. I would say, this is far out. This is too, this is too far away from the reality of my life. That's really not what's taking place. If you knew of all my frailties, that's a very different image, right? But over here, we are way too polite to protest like that. So we just do it in here, right? Well, sometimes we don't have the full image of what's going on in our lives and through our lives. I had a peculiar experience the other day. Meta and I, we have just moved to a new flat. And therefore, we had people coming and viewing our own old flat, as some of you have tried, I'm sure. And uh, one of the visits came uh, quite early in the morning, straight after I had, had my devotional time. And when the agent came in, she, of course, greeted, but then quite quickly she said, oh, there's such a peace in this place. And I thought the whole thing was a sales trick, so I played along because I wanted this to be the last tenant having to view the flat. So I said, oh, yes, it's a very peaceful area. <laughs> uh, and then she just kept on walking from room to room, and, and she kept on saying, oh, that's... There's such a peace in this place, such a serenity. What is that? She asked me. And I was like, well, and, and didn't really know what to say. Um, and, and then she continued to say, I want my whole office to come down here. I want them to sit here just for 15 minutes to experience this. And I really didn't know what to say to that, you know. <laughs> um, 
And, and then she said, what is this? And then finally I mumbled, well, I'm a Christian. And then she said, oh, that's what it is. And then this whole thing turned into a very odd counseling session <laughs> with this very stressed agent. So, so what was that? A story of a Danish saint in, in London? Well, no. I can tell you, everybody who know me would know that's definitely not the case. What was it then? Well, I believe it was nothing more but also nothing less than a child who had been in the company of his heavenly father. It had affected me and it affected my surroundings. That's really what it is. Jesus said to those impossible disciples of his, those really fumbling and stumbling followers, you are the light of the world. And what does a light do without endeavor? It shines. Therefore, this prayer that Jesus teaches us is something way more than I wish that life would become a little bit better or that I would become a little bit better kind of prayer. It's a prayer of transformation. And therefore, it is also a declaration of war against any dark forces that have robbed us of peace, of healing, of righteousness, direction, sense of meaning, and sense of belonging in this world. It's a declaration of war against those things, and therefore Jesus teaches us to pray for protection. Deliver us from the evil one. And now growing into knowledge that he truly is our good heavenly father, we dare to believe in his protection. And what kind of protection is that? Is it the kind of protection where nothing bad will ever happen to me? You probably already know the answer to that question. No, that's not the kind of protection. It's not. It's not that kind of world we are living in. That's for another talk. Liam, you can do that talk some other time. It's one of the difficult ones. No, this protection is about him being with us no matter what we go through. That's the kind of protection. And this kind of protection is actually the important one. Have you noticed it's not so much how life looks like in the exterior matter that matters. It's who we are with. That's what really matters. And we are with him who has the kingdom and power and glory now and forever and ever. Amen. Right? You are allowed to say amen. Finally, how do we pray this prayer? And really a lot of things have been said. And I will only give just four key words. And hopefully they will be helpful. I would suggest that we pray it reverently. Realizing that this prayer is not just a rhyme. It's not, it, it's not just a random prayer. That it's really a privilege. That this prayer really is an open door that Jesus has placed in front of us. For us to engage with and for us to enter. And I suggest that we start to contemplate what a privilege that is. And maybe start to reflect on whether instead of facing walls, we should intentionally face the open door that he has placed in front of us.
In the early church in the first centuries, the Lord's Prayer was, was the last thing the people who had come to faith being prepared for baptism were taught. And it was on the day of baptism that they were allowed to pray it for the first time. Somehow these early Christians understood the revolutionary truth and power of this prayer, that it truly was an expression of the new kingdom and the new identity in Christ. So I really should suggest that we pray it reverently, understanding what a privilege it is that we have been given this prayer. I would also suggest that we pray it slowly, that we don't run through the prayer. And I will give you an example of this just in a, a few minutes so you'll have an idea of it. Uh, this example that I'm going to give is an example of how you can do the prayer in two and a half minutes. Uh, but you could also use longer time on this one. And uh, what I would propose as an image which may be helpful is it's like to go on a walk in a beautiful park. And from time to time you would stop and admire the view. This is how you can walk through the Lord's Prayer. Maybe stop already at the Our Father bit and just think a little bit about, oh, what does it mean that God is my Father? What does that really mean? What does that say about Him? And start to thank Him for it. That's a wonderful way to go into prayer. It typically makes the rest of your prayer very different from what it normally would be. It typically makes your prayer one big thanksgiving, a bit of a party instead of one big begging tour. And there's a big difference. Start by thanking Him for being this Father that He is. Maybe also think a little bit about, oh, it's our Father. So even though I sit behind a closed door in this room by myself, I am praying with millions of other Christians now and through history. I am with this big extended family, and we are praying to the very same Father. It's amazing. That's an amazing view. And then I can keep on going slowly through the prayer and stop maybe by each of these covenant names. Oh, you are my healer. You are my peace, and so on and so forth. It's an amazing walk. So I suggest we pray it reverently, that we pray it slowly, and that we pray it consistently. Not as a rule, now I have to pray this prayer every day. It's now another should thing in my life. No, don't go there. Please don't go there. But the elements of this prayer, to bring those elements into our everyday life with God, is such a good thing. And I know that life is busy. It is for all of us. But I, would, I have a theory that none of us have ever regretted spending some time in prayer, right? There would be some of us who have regretted other things in our lives, but I, I can't remember any time where I, after some time of prayer, said, oh, I really shouldn't have done that. Can you? It's such a good way to start the day. It gives us such a good foundation for whatever comes throughout the day because we are walking with him who sees us and who sees what we are going through, whatever that is. And if you haven't done this before, I, I would really encourage you to do a thing that has been such a blessing in my own life. So 
when I was a bit younger than I am now, I, I made the choice of going through uh, the Lord's Prayer every day for, I think it was about two or three months. And I did, did the walk really slowly. And somehow that laid a foundation for a prayer life that I have been able to return to again and again and again. So I know this walk quite well. I know the views. But as I walk it again, I'm always being renewed in those views. But knowing them, knowing the walk is so helpful. So I can always take elements from this walk and bring them straight both into a prayer, into a thought, but also into a conversation. So pray it reverently, slowly, consistently, and finally pray it resting. This is not about a religious duty at all. If you feel anything like that, I would almost say forget about praying it. Uh, that's really not what it is. It's more like a child looking joyfully at his or her parents. That's more like it. It's us looking at our Heavenly Father who is preparing everything for us. It's us looking at Him who is doing all of these things and us being the children in the receiving end of them. It's us looking at what He did through His Son, Jesus Christ, who prepared this kind of life for us. And by what He did, placed us in front of this open door. It's us looking at the Holy Spirit who is the one who transforms our hearts and teaches us to pray Abba Father as a deep, essential prayer in our lives. So now, as promised, we are going to be listening to a prayer as the band will come up here and get ready. And uh, I suggest that we just relax, enjoy, maybe close our eyes. It's prayed slowly so we can pray along. Some of you will recognize the voice because it's the voice of Tim Frisbee who leads our Stockwell service. Um, and this is his personal uh, version of the Lord's Prayer. I find it quite beautiful and a very good example of how you can take it in and use this prayer as a really good walk. Abba Father, loving and gracious God, glory to your name. Your kingdom of justice and compassion come. Your good, pleasing and perfect will be done in my life, in my community, in my city, in my nation, on earth, just as it is in heaven. Give us today all that we need to live a full life, including the courage and compassion to forgive all those who have hurt us and will hurt us today, intentionally or unknowingly. Thank you for forgiving me for all that I did, said and thought yesterday that was motivated by fear and selfishness rather than faith and love. Thank you for never giving up on me and for always welcoming me home. Protect me and those I love from harm. Keep me from trials and tests that could overwhelm me. Give me the serenity to accept those things outside of my control that you and your providence allow. Give me the courage to work for change where I can, in my heart and in my world. And give me the wisdom to know the difference between them 
so that I don't waste energy worrying or opportunities to make a difference. Your kingdom, not the world's, is the kingdom that I want. Your glory, not mine, is what I want to live for. Your resurrection power at work within me and through me is what I choose to trust in. Father, I thank you for every good gift that comes from your hand, for blessing me with every spiritual blessing in Christ and giving me everything I need for life and godliness. Use me today, I pray, to reveal your love to those around me. Strengthen me for the good works you have prepared in advance for me to do. Teach me your way, that I may only do what I see my Father doing. And above all, reign in me. Reign over my hopes and my ambitions. Reign over my fears and my disappointments. Reign in my heart, in my mind, in my body. Amen. <laughs>